With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast around. If you want to tell me there's another one, I will take you outside. I will fight you. We have that title. Bring it on. I'm Jim Salverson. My tag team partners today are Marley, the Marauder Anderson and Niall Nasty McCorn. Wow. How are you doing, gents? <laughs> I've got the steel chairs at the ready. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> juggernaut, juggernaut Jim Salverson's going to come for you. And then me and Niall are like the... Uh... The Manchester version of the Dudley Boys. Someone's getting put through a table. <laughs> so Juggernaut Jim is probably the, the least appropriate name for me. If you ever saw me, I'm, I'm as thin as a rake. Uh, so make sure you've subscribed to this podcast, which is a football show, not a wrestling show, by the way. You get the next episode as soon as it's ready, if you do. Plus, you'll be able to scoot back for all the previous shows as well, including last night's review show with Fergal and the boys looking back at the weekend's games. That is all the weekend's games apart from one by the way, because it happened too late. That's Chelsea's win over the Blades last night. Chelsea beating Sheffield United. We'll be covering that off very soon on the podcast. We're also going to be discussing the clash of footballing cultures that is Bielsa versus Hodgson as Leeds take on Crystal Palace in tonight's game. We're trying to pick a winner from that game shortly too. And we're going to be talking about football excuses after Jurgen Klopp dropped another classic after his team lost to Manchester City at the weekend, blaming cold feet for that particular defeat. But let's start with Sheffield United 1, Chelsea 2. Another win for Thomas Tuchel, unbeaten in his career so far as Chelsea manager. But the football has been, I think it's safe to say, a little bit dull at times. Is this what Chelsea fans need to expect from Tuchel, Niall? Is he a pragmatic, defensive stereotypically German manager. <laughs> I don't know what stereotypically German managers are like. Um, Efficient. We've not had many of them in the Premier League. I think, I can't really think of too many. Was Jürgen Klinsmann ever a manager? I'm not sure he was, was he? He just played for Tottenham. So I suppose Jürgen Klopp is one of the only German managers we've seen in the Premier League. So I guess if you're talking of a blueprint for what German managers are like, I think almost everyone, wouldn't they, would look at, at Jürgen Klopp and you know, the way the German national team play as well under Herkim Lerf um, was quite a, a decent style, an attractive style that ended up um, doing well for Germany um, in tournaments in the past. For Tuchel, I, I can't profess to have watched loads of him before he rocked up at Chelsea, but certainly he came with high praise from Dortmund and did a decent enough job at PSG despite getting sacked. And I think it's always difficult when a new manager comes in because you're expecting an immediate upturn because there's this whole thing, isn't there, of the new manager bounce. That when a new guy comes in to replace the old guy, things are all of a sudden going to turn around and, and things are going to get back on the straight and narrow and you're going to pick up a few results here and there. But actually, when you look at it, if you're looking at a, a style that Thomas Tuchel brings, we know tactically he's very sound. It's going to take a while to drum that into the players. Mm. Now... This is no disrespect to Frank Lampard, who's learned off some of the best managers out there, Ancelotti, um, Jose Mourinho, to name just two. But if you're talking about tactically, um, Thomas Tuchel is probably better than Lampard tactically just because he's done the job for longer. He's been a manager for longer. And albeit he's still reasonably young in manager terms, you know, we'll talk about Roy Hodgson later, who's still going into his 70s. But <clears throat> I think the interesting thing here is if you look at the first few games that Chelsea have had under Tuchel, 
Sheffield United last night. The first game was a nil-nil with Wolves. They've also played Burnley. And then the only really difficult game they had was Tottenham. And at that point, Tottenham were on a real slide down the table. So I'm not saying that he's had an easy start to his Chelsea career, but he has, basically. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So so in fact, you are saying Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly what you're saying. So in all fairness, we saw, didn't we, in that first game against Wolves where they drew nil-nil, I think they had something like a thousand passes, (laughs) you know, in the game and they still couldn't find a way through. And then against Burnley, they could find a way through and then they edged past Tottenham and now they've edged past Sheffield United. It just feels like they're just waiting for something to click, maybe the penny to drop with these Chelsea players. And kind of further to that point of of Tuchel kind of going in there and putting his stamp on it, I just wonder how Lampard would have fared if he had stayed. Because obviously he got the sack and the results weren't good enough. Uh, He got the sack after an FA Cup win over Luton. Um, Wolves are still 14th in the table. Burnley are still near the relegation zone. Uh, Chelsea were in terrible form though. Yeah, they were. They were. But I mean, with the run of fixtures that Chelsea had coming up, who's to say that Chelsea wouldn't have gone and done the exact same that they've done under Tuchel? Beat Burnley, beat uh, Drew with Wolves, beat Tottenham, beat Sheffield United. I I mean, I can't say that... Mm. I feel that Tuchel has done something that Lampard hasn't done. But then again, we say we've got to give managers time, but you don't get time at Chelsea. That's just not the Chelsea way. You've got to come in, you know, cut and thrust and get results straight away. Now, Chelsea have got three wins at four games under Thomas Tuchel, but I don't think that's anything Lampard can have done with the teams that they faced. Would Lampard have got away with what Tuchel has done, though, in terms of... Because he has he showed utmost respect to every single team he's faced he's played five at the back two holding midfielders he did it against Sheffield United as well he's not played particularly expansive football but he's provided a solid base on which Chelsea's flair players inverted commas they're not showing a massive amount of flair at the moment but you would class them as fair players can go and get those goals and would Lampard having spent the time in the job already have got away with that in terms of playing so defensively playing so conservatively well that's why Jose Mourinho got the chop from Chelsea in the very first instance, all the way back 15 years ago, because, you know, Roman Abramovich was spending all of his money on um, on expensive players and Jose was going and winning games 1-0. And, uh, you know, Mourinho, Chelsea weren't in a slump when mm. Mourinho got sacked the first time. There was a disagreement, mutual consent they parted by Abramovich and Mourinho. And it was because Chelsea had spent all, these money, all this money on players and they just weren't getting... You know, oh, my toy's not working. It feels a little bit like that, you know, from an Abramovich perspective. Oh, you know, the expensive toy you've bought your child has not stopped working. You can't take it back to the shop. Yeah, he wanted beautiful football. Exactly. And Jose was delivering results but and trophies, but not in a beautiful way. And, you know, I don't know whether that is a similar thing to what we've seen this season. Whereas Lampard, albeit, wasn't delivering results either at the point that he got sacked. But the fact is, if you buy players for an expensive fee, sometimes they're a flop. I mean... Uh, Abramovich famously loved Fernando Torres, paid 50 million quid for him. But Torres's knee was gone when he bought him. Um, you know, he rushed back for the World Cup in 2010, Fernando Torres, to play for Spain, albeit Spain won. And I think that did his knee some damage and he lost that extra yard of pace. Now, I actually didn't think it was too bad for Chelsea, but he was nowhere near. He was a shadow of his Liverpool self. And, you know, Chelsea still spent 50 million quid on him and Abramovich loved him. Um, but Abramovich also shelled out loads of money on Shevchenko. Didn't really work. Uh, loads of money on Morata. Didn't really work. So, you know, you're talking about a, a, an owner who's shelled out money on, on so many good players. And... I mean, how many times do you change manager before the players start playing well? Now, I don't think Tuchel will do a bad job at Chelsea. I actually think he's going to be a decent coach for them. But I just wonder, with this kind of 
idea that Tuchel's going to go in and revolutionise Chelsea. I don't think we've seen anything from him in terms of the results. And you can see a little bit of green shoots of what he's trying to do. But I don't think so far we've seen anything that Lampard couldn't have done. And I know it's going to take a bit of time to get to that point. But I just wonder how long it will take. Will it take until the end of the season before Chelsea fans start going, well, we want a little bit more. And the owner Mm. starts going, we want a little bit more. It'll be interesting to see whether he does adapt his playing style or whether this quite conservative football is indeed what he's going to bring to the Premier League. From Sheffield United's point of view, though, Marley, they'll be a little bit disappointed not to get anything from last night's game. They had a penalty that was then taken away from them because the player was offside. And there have been some real improvements of late for Sheffield United. They've turned a few of those close losses into close wins they didn't quite do enough last night but is that improvement in form and improvement in playing style that we saw last night and we've seen recently from Sheffield United is it is it going to be enough to save the club from relegation I think it's unlikely but more importantly and more pressing probably is it going to be enough to save Chris Wilder and keep him in a job even if Sheffield United do go down yeah I think I think no matter what happens I think Wilder will will stay um I think if they were gonna sack him, they'd have sacked him by now. Um, if they were gonna take, you know, run that risk and sort of spin that dice and say, well, maybe someone else can get us out of it. I think it was always the right decision as well to keep him because he's. I mean, who who realistically was gonna come in? Let's say they sacked Wilder three or four games ago. Who was gonna come in when Sheffield United had two points at the bottom of the table or five when they beat Newcastle? Like nobody was ever gonna take that job and and expect them to. Uh, to stay up unless they managed to get Sam Allardyce, in which case he'd have walked in and said, yep, pay me two million quid and I'll, I'll take you down and prob- <laughs> probably run away before uh, before I have a chance to actually, uh, you know, settle the relegation type of thing. But um, no... Increase the catering bill as well. Yeah, yeah. Bisto <laughs> going through the roof. Sales of Oxo and Bisto. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's perfect for Sheffield United. It doesn't really matter about one season for them, I don't think. Because if you think about Sheffield United, if they go down which we're assuming they will there aren't that many um of aren't that many of their players going to get robbed by bigger clubs i think ramsdale will probably stay the back three will stay the only ones that might go are like sander Berger, possibly rian brewster but even brewster i think will stay because he's done absolutely nothing since joining sheffield united and a season in the championship might be nice for him when he scored i think he got 16 for swansea last uh, last year on loan um so he'll probably fire them straight back up again um, and they'll be in a position to come back and have another go at it. Um, and Wilder will want to stay. He's local. He loves the job. He's never mm. ever been sacked, Chris Wilder, as well, uh, in his whole career. Um, so Sheffield United are not going to want to be the first ones to do it when he was. He's their man. He is Sheffield United personified, basically. So I think he'll want to stay. He'll he'll fancy the job of getting the back up again. Um, and that's if that's if they haven't got a chance this season. Do you think the fact that they have stuttered this season and they haven't lived up to their heroics last season will put put few of the a few of the suitors that might have fancied a punt on Chris Wilder off as well? Like they'll they'll want to see him prove himself maybe in the job a little bit longer, maybe do another season in the Premier League before they take a chance on him. Uh, yeah, possibly. Yeah, but also I don't I don't know how many teams wa- would want Chris Wilder because. Not because he's not good enough, just because of the sort of character he is and how much he he loves Sheffield United. Like it, he's only going to do it if he's out of work. I think I don't think there's a job he'd want to leave for. Um, at the minute, he's mm. been around mm. in the lower leagues. He knows what it's like to scrap around and go away to, you know, grounds where you're getting changed in the car park. He's been down to those depths with Northampton and Halifax. 
um, and and clubs like that. So he's not a sort of um, egotistical manager. I don't think who who wants to get to the top no matter what. I think it's for him. It seems like more of a um, a connection with the club, um, and that's what I really like about him because that also comes with him being really honest in interviews and saying, look, we're Sheffield United, we're not Manchester City, we can't go and spend loads of money to, to stay in the league and, you know, we, have, we haven't got a 20-man uh, squad where I can pick, you know, I have the the um, luxury of choosing players that aren't in the squad type of thing. I think they only named six subs again last night because um, they're struggling with injuries so bad because they haven't got um, as much catch as other, as other teams down the bottom. You look at Fulham. Um, spending loads of money, going down, coming back up, spending loads more money, and he still might go down again. So the financials of Sheffield United are much tighter, but they're also much more healthy than a lot of teams down there. And I don't think they'll uh, they'll spoil that by saying, OK, Wilder, you go, and then maybe you can go somewhere else. Maybe someone will come to him, because I think he's too sort of honest and too, um, too sort of in love with Sheffield United to say, OK, I want to I wanna leave now and I want to go and try my hand at you know, Southampton or Everton or Aston Villa or someone like that. It's a club like that. So, no, I, f- I think he'll he'll be there for as long as Sheffield United are playing red and white stripes, to be honest. Talking a bit more specifically about the game itself, Niall, the big talking point was the penalty decision that ultimately decided the game. Timo Werner going down under a challenge from Aaron Ramsdale. He kind of, he ran onto a through ball, popped the ball to the left, mm. went to the right... Ramsdale was almost down and, and Werner kind of ran into Ramsdale. I mean, there was a, actually genuine division on the on the, the call to give it as a penalty, which is a rarity at the moment, considering some of the decisions we had over the weekend that there was no division on other than the referee and everyone else, Mike <laughs> Dean. Uh, but moving on from that, I mean, was it was it the right call? Was it a penalty as far as you're concerned? Um, yeah, you're right, Jim. It's a tough one. I, I mean, I think it is. I think it is. I think this whole idea of whether something's meant or not, I think this is really muddy waters. I'm thinking of the Socek one, obviously, for your side, West Ham, with the, the point of the elbow. Now, this whole idea of something being accidental or not, I think it's really muddy water. And I think we need to try and clear this up kind of in the game in general. Whether something's mm. accidental or not doesn't mean it's not a foul. If a keeper comes flying out to try and punch the ball and punch the striker clean in the jaw, knocks him silly, it's still a penalty. It doesn't matter whether he meant it or not. If he's gone for the ball, there's a really famous one from the Champions League, Manchester United versus Real Madrid, where the ball's dropping out of the sky and Nanny for Manchester United puts his boot up to try and control it and his studs go straight into the chest of a Real Madrid player. I remember the pundits in the studio going absolutely mental. I think it was Rio Ferdinand saying, how can that be a red card? He's not meant it. Um, it's it's not deliberate. Mm. It might have even been Gareth Southgate actually on punditry duty who said, can't be a red card because he's not meant it. Actually, it doesn't matter. Yeah, there's no such thing as intent in, in the rules of the game. Intent's no, not an issue. it's not. And and that's the thing that I, I find strange, you know. So check, yeah, it's a silly red card and he doesn't mean to do it. And it's an accident. He doesn't try and elbow him in the head. Um, that's slightly different. But if you're endangering an opponent, then, you know, you get sent off. That's just part of the rules of the game. And yeah, it's bad luck. And people are saying, oh, you know, it's, it's not right. But yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing that I think we need to clear up. But for that one, I think first of all, I want to say that I think Aaron Ramsdale's the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League. I think he's worse. Than, <laughs> I think he's worse than Pickford. Um, I don't think he's done himself any favours whatsoever this season. Uh, I think he's made a number of mistakes. I just don't think he's. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's an all right keeper, but he's not. He's not anything special. Mm. Um, 
And, uh, you know, there's this whole idea, and I talk about intent, about whether he tried to go for the ball or not. Um, if he tries to go for the ball, fine. But if he, if he clips a player at the same time um, and there's a collision and there's contact, you know, th- then you can understand why the referee's given a penalty. It's one of those things, right, that no matter that we've got VAR, it doesn't really matter. You're always going to get decisions where, actually, I'm not sure. And that's why a referee's there, because it is on the referee's whistle as to whether it's a free kick or a penalty or, or whatnot. I mean, you can bring in VAR and we're trying to forensically analyse every decision here. Offside is fair enough. I mean, there needs to be changes in the rules of offside and handball. We've already seen tweaks to that rule, but there are always going to be fouls all over the pitch where one referee will think it is and one referee will think it isn't. You know, and I think you you talk about a referee like Mike Dean, who's in his 50s, and then you look at a referee like Michael Oliver, who's in his 30s. There's a 20 year difference between their um, careers. So you're talking about there's going to be discrepancies in the way they referee the game. Something that Michael Oliver will see that is a foul. You know, Mike Dean, because he comes from a different generation of football, might think it isn't. And I think that that's just the nature of referees and refereeing. So no matter how much you try and impose technology on the game, you are still always going to get decisions like this where it's so 50-50. Some you might think it is a penalty, some who might think it isn't. So I think it's something that is always going to be up for debate, regardless of how much technology we have to try and iron out this and make the right decisions in the game. There's always going to be that grey area. Um, I, th- I think I'm probably swaying on the side that it was a penalty. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I can understand why Sheffield United feel hard done by. It was a penalty for me, I think. I think he takes out Werner. I think what's interesting is Werner's intention. I always like to say intent doesn't come into the game, but it's interesting. He puts the ball to the left, runs to the right. He has no intention of chasing that ball whether Ramsdale makes contact or not. And I wonder how much of that is the player's confidence at the moment because Timo Werner has not scored in 14 games now and that must affect your confidence in front of goal. But that said, he had a massive impact on that game, Marley. He set up the first goal. He won the penalty. He is showing some signs that maybe he's settling in at Chelsea, isn't he? He looks like... I mean, do, do you think he is going to find that goal-scoring form at some point before the end of the season? i tell you what, they, for me, there's no way that's a penalty that in any way because, as you, you've just mentioned there, he puts it one side of the goalie and he just runs off the other. He's not in control of that ball anymore at all. Like, he's not going to catch that. He boots it practically all the way across the box. Chris Basham's coming across to take it off him. He's not in control of it. And even Ramsdale, he doesn't even touch Ramsdale's hands. He doesn't even go over his hands. He knees him in the face. The VAR thing, the one from the reverse angle, he literally, the point of his knee hits Ramsdale in the face because Ramsdale's like, why the hell is he going around me this way? He doesn't need to put his arms out. So he's, he's not even trying to like save the ball from going past him because he puts it around him the other way. So it's, it's a ridiculous decision, I think. But the way the thing that got into my head about that was like, Werner is a £50 million striker, he's a goal scorer, he's got this amazing run um, of goals in Germany. He gets through one-on-one with a goalkeeper, and instead of trying to stick it past him, he tries to dribble past him and make it easier for mm. himself. He's thinking, oh, I might miss this, I'll go around him. It's not a natural finish. And then to even go around him that way, like normally you would go around him towards the byline and try and sneak it in from a tight angle. That's That's the way you'd beat a goalkeeper in that situation, but... In in his head, he's just like, I'm not gonna score this. How can I run into the goalkeeper? And that's that's for me. That's not how strikers think. You've got to think, I'm gonna put this ball in the goal as quickly as I can. Not think, I I need to win a penalty because Jorginho's really good at them, and we're gonna get a goal like that. It's ridiculous for me with the the way he's thinking, 
And it's just down to a lack of confidence, I think, because there's no way he was going to get that ball. And Chris Basham would come across and clear it easily, I think. Um, but obviously, when VAR gets involved, you know, you slow it down and you start thinking of all the rules and you think about intent and whether he whether it was intentional or not. And I think Ramsdale's been stitched up a bit there, but uh, it is what it is. But back to, to Werner, I think he's he's starting to get more um, understanding from his manager. I think if you look at Tuchel's um, record, you know, where he's been, he's been at Mainz and, PS, uh, Mainz and Dortmund in Germany while, while Werner was at um, Leipzig. So Werner's um, been studied a lot by Tuchel for, I think, Three or four years, they were both in the Bundesliga together. So Thomas Tuchel knows how to get, um, how to study Werner to try and stop him. So he obviously knows a lot about his game and how he likes to play. And it's interesting that you know the four games he's played, he's played everyone, and he's played everyone as a striker, um, mm-hmm. trying to get him behind, trying to feed him the ball into into the space rather than tight because his touches, his touches garbage to be honest. Um, so you've got to you've got to bump it ahead of him so he can run onto it. I was watching him in a tight space. I think it was against um, uh, who did who did Chelsea play last? Was it Burnley? I think I think I think Tottenham. It, Tottenham, yeah, it was Tottenham. Uh, it was on the edge of the box, and they fed it into him. He had, he had his back to goal, but it was one of them where if he trapped it, he could get a shot away from twenty yards, and you back yourself to score. And it just bounced off him, and I think Alderweireld just absolutely smashed through him. I was like, that's mine. And it was dead simple, and I was just thinking, like, if this is if this is you, this is your touch. You need to improve that if you're going to be in the Premier League, because things are a lot tighter. There's a lot the teams defend a bit deeper if they if they're wary of you, like Tottenham did, um, like Burnley will, like Wolves will. Mm. Um, they'll defend deeper than they do. They won't leave as much space. So Werner's got to adapt his game. I think he's not been anywhere near uh, the level of what Chelsea want from him. I don't think, but. Under Tuchel, I think they'll start playing more his way. Um, he's got a partner up front now. I think in the three-five-two system, he's always got someone up there with him um, to help him, uh, you know, win the ball and, and keep it up there if they uh, if they go that way. He's got a number ten behind him to provide the service. He's got two wingers on either side, so if he's he's, he's set up for success, um, and he wasn't, I don't think under Lampard. I think he was shoehorned in a bit. And to be honest, I think Frank Lampard probably expected a, a better player to be signing for Chelsea, uh, if we're being completely honest. But he's um, he's now got all the things he needs to score goals. So over the next few weeks, let's let's see if he can go on and do that. Because I think there was always um, an excuse under Lampard that he wasn't getting the service. He wasn't used to the way that the team played. But I think they're starting to come around to that a little bit more now with with Tuchel so we'll see if he starts scoring top four for Chelsea Niall no no not this year Marley do you think they're going to make it are they going to sneak into that top four yes I think they'll Ooh. finish fourth okay, above who Leicester Liverpool uh, Man United oh wow, wow. okay fair Ooh. didn't see that one coming Ooh. good shout <laughs> yeah. I feel like we can't get with Man City Liverpool Leicester um, and Chelsea oh, Newcastle and Chelsea <laughs> <laughs> no Spurs no Everton no Liverpool interesting right okay well we'll leave no that West there. Ham no well, well yeah <laughs> not dreaming that much uh, right we're going to talk about the game tonight next it's Leeds United versus Crystal Palace and we'll do it next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode 
listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Leeds United versus Crystal Palace is the game tonight. Here's a little quiz to get us started, boys. Okay, you can tell me which of tonight's managers said the following. The most important thing is how we play. If you finish eighth by not playing well, it's worse than finishing 12th and playing well. Is that Marcelo Bielsa or Roy or Roy Hodgson? Niall. Uh, I feel like this could be a trick question, but before no, I give not. my answer, Marley, do you want to go halves? If I say Hodgson, you say Bielsa, then we categorically cannot get it wrong. Oh, 100% that's what I was going to do. I'll go for Hodgson. What do you think, Marley? Yeah, I think Hodgson as well. <laughs> no, I think, I think Bielsa, but technically Bielsa's interpreter. Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, it's not a trick question in any way, but I think it does demonstrate kind of the, the battle of football and cultures that we've got going on tonight. We've got Leeds United <laughs> who go all out to play a style of football, no matter what the results, and Crystal Palace who do whatever they can to get the result and don't give a <laughs> about what crap the football yeah. is. What I will say is I don't think the chief executive would be feeling the same way about finishing eighth and finishing 12th when there's a few more million quid up for grabs in the end of the Premier League season. Well, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, do you take on Marcelo Bielsa if that's your intention, if you are bothered about that kind of thing? Maybe, you, I mean, there's no doubt that he is getting a tune out of his players at the moment or was getting a tune out of his players. It seems like it's changed slightly at Leeds in recent weeks, we talked about them being worked out a few weeks ago and then they went and beat Leicester 3-1. Then they lost to Everton the week after. They do seem somewhat erratic at the moment, Marley. But at the same time, they don't seem to be playing with the swagger that was causing their erraticism. Is erraticism a word? Was causing them to be erratic <laughs> earlier on in the season. It is now. They, they'd score four one week, concede four the next early on in the season. That seems to have gone from the game, but they still seem all over the place when it comes to results. What's going on? Uh, I think it's just the the nature of the beast. I think that's how you how results go when you uh, when you play this the style and and the sort of way they do. I think um, they've been affected. I think all season and not enough people are talking about it. They haven't had two fit centre backs for all but about four or five mm. weeks of the season. I think um, with Robin Cock, he gets he got injured straight away. Like um, I think his knee went or his or his hamstring went quickly. Diego Lorente had a hamstring injury in September, I think, and he still hasn't come back from it. Um, I think he played 10 minutes against Newcastle mm. before it went again, um, and we still couldn't beat them with one centre-back. Um, but, um, yeah, the the defence hen- like, is, I think, a, a big cause of why, why they're sort of, uh, you know, conceding three one week and then scoring three the next and all the rest of it. But I still think, you know, they, they haven't got, like a massive problem with the way they play. I think if you shored it up at the back, you would blunt it at the front, and I think that's that's definitely not mm. what Bielsa likes to do. He, at the end of the day, I think what are they twelfth or something or thirteenth? They're absolutely fine. Then it's still a good. If the season finished tomorrow, it's a very good first season. They'll stay up comfortably um, because they'll have far too much firepower for the teams. Um, compared to them below, you know, Crystal Palace is your Newcastles, your Burnleys, your Brightons, they've got more than them uh, up front, attacking, <clears throat> excuse me, attacking-wise. Um, it's just coming up, you know, the next couple of seasons, if they're still going on like this, then it might become a bit of a problem, but I think people are, are quick to um, to sort of write them off as like, we don't do things in this country like, like Bielsa's doing. I think everyone's a bit, little bit sort of arrogant to this new way of 
you know, this risk-taking thing, because everyone wants to see entertaining football, and then someone comes along and plays it, and everyone goes, well, you can't play like that for long term, you know, what's he doing coming over mm. coming over here, playing this way, this gung-ho way, and he doesn't speak English and all this, and we don't like Leeds, and we don't want to like Leeds because we haven't liked Leeds for 30 years. And all the rest of it, and now now it's kind of hard not to like them because they're scoring goals and they're always first on match of the day and stuff like that. It's not. It, there's nothing wrong with how they play. I don't think. Yes, it's a bit open, but also they're doing they're doing enough. They've scored um, plenty of goals. They've won plenty of games. They'll be absolutely fine at the end of the season. And then maybe in the summer they can go and buy a centre back that hasn't got hamstrings, uh, quavers made of hamstrings made of quavers. I should say. Um, and then come back and and be uh, and be a bit more solid next season. I don't know. It's interesting you mentioned their performance in the league because what I think is really fascinating about this game is Leeds and Crystal Palace are dead level. They both played twenty two games. They both got twenty nine points. Leeds have conceded one more goal than Crystal Palace. The only real difference is Leeds have scored a few more. They've got nine more goals this season. Well, who and... who would you rather watch? Yeah, I know. Well, that's it. Who do you think? <laughs> that's will... what I mean. Who do you think would exactly. be more disappointed, Niall, when they look or more happy with their league position, I guess, when they both look at it from the onset? I mean, Leeds, new team in the Premier League. It's all about staying up your first season. Crystal Palace have been in the Premier League for what feels like forever. But for them, it's also all <laughs> about staying up, it seems. Yeah, well, I think I said at the start of the season about Leeds when they came up, I said there were a few people, and, and to be fair, most of the rational Leeds fans weren't saying this, but there were a few people that saying that were saying that Leeds are so good they're going to finish in the top ten. And I said, mm. if it's if they're in the if they're in the top ten at Christmas, I'll come on the podcast and apologise. Thankfully, I didn't have to because they've been middle bottom half of the table for pretty much the whole of the season. Because I don't think as as good as Marcelo Bielsa's got them playing, I think Marley's absolutely right. Like, if they want to really have aspirations to finish in the top ten, they're going to have to go and buy some players players that fit the system, players that are an upgrade on the players that they have got. And that's no disrespect to the players they have got right now. But, you know, they're not a Europa League quality side at the moment. They've got the tools to do the job. They've got a great manager. They've got a good philosophy. They've got the fan base. They've got everything you need, really, to be a, a side in the top 10 in the Premier League. I just think that maybe they need to go into the market and buy some better players. Um, so, yeah, I think Leeds will probably be happier with the position that they're in um, compared to Crystal Palace, uh, just purely because they've been out of the league for 16 years. And you're absolutely right. Their remit should be, and probably is this season, to stay up. Um, and once they reach that 40-point margin they can then say right we'll we'll see how far we can go because naturally 40 points is normally what keeps you up that's kind of the barometer isn't it for survival in the Premier League these days but for Crystal Palace I think that they have improved in terms of being a spectacle um I watched them the other week and actually I didn't think they were too bad. I thought they're interchanging around the box is pretty good. Eze looks a good player when he's on the ball. Obviously, Zaha is so important to them, um, but it looks like he might miss the next few games with an injury. So it's just one of those things where we can kind of see slow progression for Crystal Palace. Uh, I think that everyone says the manager that they've got is what keeps them up but I think it's more than that I think they do have a little bit of guile they do get results I think they've won the last couple of games by just a single goal um, you know and and you know I think they beat Wolves 1-0 which is an important win for them um, recently as well uh, considering that that shake-up where they are in the table so yeah I think Crystal Palace are improving I think that they're better to watch um, than they have been a couple of seasons ago at least um, but yeah I mean Marley's right you'd rather watch Leeds wouldn't you but that's purely because mm. 
almost sometimes on the field they're as fun to watch because they're so leaky as they are uh, going forward. Um, that's what makes them so entertaining. It's not it's not just about the way that they go forward that makes them entertaining. It's about the way that, as you said, Jim, earlier on in the season, you didn't know whether you're going to get beat 5-0 or win 5-0. And that's the kind of, for a neutral, that's the kind of element of excitement. You don't get that with Crystal Palace. They're far more solid. They're far more pragmatic. They're more likely to win a game 1-0. And it goes through um, this whole debate that we're talking about what we want to see from our players and what we want to see from our game nowadays. People want to see attacking, entertaining football and the pragmatic grind-out results Mourinho factor is a thing of the past. Maybe that might return. Who knows? But... You know, I, I think the most exciting part of football is winning games. As a fan, 100% winning games is the best best bit. Um, there's there's nothing more exciting than <laughs> watching your side win. And whether that's grinding out a 1-0 result last minute um, or beating a team 3-0, it doesn't really matter. Um, but if you're talking about people that are sat at home during a pandemic watching football on the telly, definitely would rather watch Leeds all day long. You mentioned that Leeds have got a few injury issues, Marley. Lorente's out, uh, Berardi, Cock. Pavida, Forshaw, Rodrigo all out for Leeds. Palace have got a few problems as well. Schlupp, Sarko, Ferguson, Tompkins, Ward, MacArthur, McCarthy, both doubtful as well. And Wolf Sahar is the big missing injury with a with a hamstring injury. They have got Jean-Philippe Matida, who could make his Palace debut, though he's on loan from Mainz, came in the January transfer window. Could he solve some of Palace's attacking issues? If they haven't got Zahar, can they look to him as a potential goal-scoring replacement? Uh, they should do. Um, he's probably better with, better than what they've got. Um, I, think I know nothing about him. I know absolutely nothing about him. I'm imagining him purely because <laughs> Crystal Palace have signed him that he's a great big lump of a centre-forward. But I'm not basing that on anything other than the fact Palace have signed him. Uh, he is. He's six foot four. I think. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a big lad, but I think I said before, he's not uh, on the podcast. He's not uh, a physical sort of target man striker. He's much more of a... Um, you know he's got good ball control and stuff like that. He's he's good with his feet. Classic cliche of good feet for a big man. Yeah. Um, like Carnu. Carnu was six foot five, and yeah. he was just an absolute magician with the ball at his feet. You'd never smash the ball in for him to head in. <laughs> yeah, no, he's um, yeah, he's, he's probably similar to that. In in fairness, he's he's quick as well for a um, for someone his size. Um, and yeah, I think it's weird that Palace haven't used him yet. Um, I think he's been an unused sub twice now. Um, I think he went for Batshuayi and Zahar the last time they played, and AU came off the bench and Benteke came off the bench. Um, but now Zahar's not not fit. I don't think he's going to play tonight. I think he's he's on his hamstring against Newcastle, and that's never never uh, good for uh, for an instant comeback. So he'll probably miss a few weeks, mm. and it's time for maybe Mateta. I think he he can play from the left as well. I think so. Maybe if Palace were going to switch to a front three. Um, and use sort of Mateta and maybe AU off of Benteke or or um, Batwai maybe then maybe that's something they can go for but you know they've got him for 18 months so it, they're not in any rush to, to make a judgement on him so maybe let him settle a little bit but he can definitely do something especially in a game against Leeds like you know how we how open they, they we've alluded to there they, they keep it open at the back so if you are going to have um, chance to maybe get a little bit of space. Um, maybe maybe it's Leeds, but yeah, um, he's he's certainly got a role to play because I don't think Crystal Palace's team is the hardest to break into. But they've got Batswai on loan, um, so even if you you bided your time till the summer, he's gonna uh, he's gonna go back to Chelsea and probably get sold somewhere else, and then you uh, you might have more of a chance. But 
it's it's not the hardest to get into, I don't think. And against Leeds, you know, they've got the patched up defence as I've just mentioned. I think looking at their defence as well, Leeds, what what we need to remember as well is their their back four is usually um Ailing, Cooper, Stroke and um Alioski. And Alioski is a left midfielder, um, playing left back. I think Stuart Dallas sometimes plays at the back. He's a winger playing right back or left back. Ailing's usually a centre a right back who's playing centre back most weeks. Pascal Stroik is a defensive midfielder, I think, um, and he plays centre back. So it's it's such a patched up Leeds thing, Leeds team that they've had so many injuries as well. Um, that that's another probably a reason why they've not been quite as consistent as they'd they'd like to be this season. But Mateta might play tonight and might uh, might have some success against a, a patched up defence. Feels like it might be quite a close game tonight. Leeds United versus Crystal Palace is the final game of the games week weekend of Premier League action. Right, we're going to finish off the podcast next with a game of football excuses. Who said what? And we'll do it next. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. We're going to finish today's podcast with a game of who delivered which footballing excuse for their poor performances. This is off the back of Jurgen Klopp blaming the cold weather and Alisson's poor little cold feet for Liverpool's loss to Manchester City this weekend. You can kind of see his point on this one. It was, I mean... No, I can't. Alisson's been wearing tights since September. If you've been outside recently, it's cold. It is. It's blooming cold. So you can see that his feet might have been cold, but surely that's the same for every single footballer playing football at the moment in this kind of weather. And it just comes across as Klopp whinging again, doesn't it? He's been one of the best keepers in the world for two or three seasons. He's made two clangers. Thankfully for Liverpool, they've both come in the same game. Imagine if he made one this week and then made one next week and they lose again. You know, mm. so, so I mean, there's there's more than one way to think about it. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp's a master of excuses. I remember, I think... Was it a Merseyside derby where he blamed the wind? You know, last night he's blaming the well, cold. Maybe that'll be a question um, think, coming up in a minute. No. <laughs> oh, well, here we go. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a bit... Do you find it embarrassing, the fact that Jurgen Klopp repeatedly refuses to accept that the opposition played better and his team have lost because they were second best on the pitch? It seems to be a regular thing. As you say, he's blamed the wind, he's blamed the pitch being too dry before, and now he's blaming the cold weather. Yeah, I do, because I've got a lot of respect for Jurgen Klopp because of what he's done to Liverpool. He's gone in there, turned it around, turned them into champions, turned them into the best team in the world. And apart from now, they look like Kenny Dalglish's Liverpool from 2011. But still, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for Jurgen Klopp. But every time he comes out with these excuses, the, the respect slowly gets chipped away at because I know he hates losing. And I've said this on the podcast several times. He's a man that it, it just feeds off of winning football matches and when he doesn't win football matches he's miserable and you know I'm a pretty sore loser I hate losing so you know I understand what what he feels like when they don't win um everyone loves him he's this smiley happy-go-lucky great guy um with that cheesy grin and the baseball cap when they win games when he lose when he loses games he is absolutely insufferable insufferable because of the because of the excuses you know and I think I would have far more respect for Jurgen Klopp if he just stood up after a game and went, listen, we got beat today, like he did against Brighton midweek. He actually was quite dignified mm. after the game and said, 
we didn't play very well. Brighton played well. They deserved to win at Anfield. Mm. I think because yeah, it was it's, Man... It's, it's another thing though, isn't it? When, when it's a non-threatening surprise defeat to Brighton, it's much easier to mm. say, yeah, they were good today. Because it's like, it's almost like, oh yeah, they were plucky. You know, they, they took their chances. But when it's a rival, it's hard for him to say they were just better than us today because they were by a mile. Yeah, because well, Brighton aren't a true threat to Liverpool, are they really? But City exactly, are. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and I see what you mean. And actually, I think for me this weekend, it cemented the fact that Pep Guardiola is a better manager than Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what? We're actually going to leave that comment hanging. We'll come back to that another day. Because <laughs> wow. we're going to play a game of who said what. I can hear frantic typing coming from I the other side. That's it. Instantly, if you want to leave a review for the podcast, this is probably a good time to mention it. Then you can do so. Apple Podcasts, um, or however you listen to podcasts, leave us a review. Leave us a comment. Maybe let us know what you made of Niall's uh, just statement just then, and we'll read it's it out. Not on that a controversial, is podcast. it? What that Pep Guardiola is a better manager than Jurgen Klopp? Yeah, how's that controversial? It's very close. Doesn't mean it's controversial. Like if I said Messi's better than Ronaldo, it's not controversial, is it? <laughs> yeah, but it's something people will write reviews over. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Uh, right, let, let's as move well as on. me being miserable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Jez. <laughs> come on, come on, boys. Let it go. Let it go. Put it down. Uh, right. So here's the game. I've got a footballing ex- excuse for you. Not all of them are from Jurgen Klopp, and you have to tell me who was it that made the excuse f- after their team lost. Okay. Go. Cool. Right. Your first one. You can buzz in with your name. Who blamed the Bulls being too bouncy for their team's defeat? Or no, for their team's draw in the FA Cup. Who blamed the bouncy Bulls for their team only drawing in the FA Cup? I'll give you the year, 1998. I was going to say, can I just buzz in and say clock for every answer? (laughs) (laughs) Stephen is borough with the opposition, Marley. Oh, was it us? Was it Newcastle? It was Newcastle United. Kelly Kelly Dalglish claimed said the balls were too bouncy, and that's why his team could only manage a draw against Stephen. Kelly Dalglish used to play with a bloody leather cannonball, basically. (laughs) 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 Okay, next one. Next one. Who blamed noisy frogs for their team's poor showing in the World Cup? This was what? Oh, it's got to be the South Africa World Cup then, isn't it? Oh, I was thinking Japan. Two thousand six. Was that South Africa? Germany. That was. Was that German? Oh, Noisy Frogs in Germany then, 2006. No idea. It was the Ukraine national team. They were thrashed 4-0 by Spain. How did I remember that? The <laughs> defender for Ukraine, uh, Vladislav Vashchuk, said... <laughs> this is a great quote. Oh, <laughs> Jim, as if we were going to get that. <laughs> get the quote. <laughs> to be fair, we should give Jim credit for actually pronouncing that correctly because that is <laughs> a tough one and he's nailed it. No, we, we think he <laughs> never pronounced it correctly, but we have no idea who the f*** <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the quote was from the defender because of the frogs croaking we hardly got a wink of sleep we all agreed we should take some sticks and go and hunt them down <laughs> so, <laughs> look at the ukrainian national team spent their evening hunting through the grounds of the hotel <laughs> killing frogs with sticks oh my god and then wondered why they got beaten by spain 4-0 anyway next one so none, none right so far question number three who said the wind came from all different directions? You saw it in a lot of situations. Go on, Niall, I think you might have this. Can we employ the university challenge guy to, to do our intros? <laughs> <laughs> Football social, Niall. Um, is it Jurgen Klopp? It is Jurgen Klopp after the draw with Everton. Um, they gave away the position then to top of the table City, who never gave it back. But it was the wind's fault on that occasion. Right, an easy one next. Who blamed invisible kits? 
Oh, Fergie. Of course against, it was. Uh, against, was it Southampton, yeah? Well, it was Southampton was the breaking point. 1996, the famous grey away shirt that Manchester United wore. They'd lost three games in a row wearing that grey shirt. They were 3-0 down to Southampton at half-time, went and got changed and still lost 3-1 in that particular game. So maybe it wasn't too... Never wore that kit again. Never wore it again. What was right, he said? Fine. That it blended in with the stands? Or he said it confu- just... yeah. It blended yeah. in with the crowd. You couldn't pick. You couldn't pick the players out from the crowd at the time. But you know what? That's so weird because I was imagining in the nineties an empty stadium. I was literally thinking, how? How? Because the wow. seats at Southampton are red and the seats at Old Trafford are red. I was like, how's a grey kit? I was imagining empty seats, not actual fans in the stands. How weird is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's amazing how quickly you get used to stuff, isn't it? To be fair, grey yeah. is grey is kind of hard to see, but yeah. you know. If Elephants you're... famously difficult to spot, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they sneak up on you. Do you know what? They're harder to spot than frogs in grass. <laughs> right, your final one. Number five, fifth question. Um, I think it's one all at the moment, so winner gets this one. Poor genes. Who claimed poor genetics for their team? Oh. Go on then. I know this one because I remember it. Is it Gordon Strachan, the it... Scotland manager at the time? It is Gordon Strachan. Yeah. Blame yeah. Scotland's remember, poor he, DNA. Yeah, because they didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup. And didn't he say something like, we need to get tall men and tall women together <laughs> to have babies and see what we can do? That's oh exactly what he said. He blames Scotland's height and the fact for the fact they didn't... I mean, forget that, like Portuguese, Brazilian, famously quite small nations have always done all right in the World Cup. But for Gordon Strachan, it was Scotland's poor DNA that caused them not to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. I love the idea of Gordon Strachan being like, you know, following through on this plan. And in 20 years, Scotland have got a really tall team of just footballers because he's forgot to <laughs> he's just put a big man and a big woman together not a good footballing woman and a good footballing <laughs> man or some sort of two sportsman parents and he's just gone for two Crap big levels yeah. brilliant at basketball yeah. <laughs> Gordon Strachan's speed dating association <laughs> well there you go Niall takes the trophy well done Niall no yes. excuses from you do you want to make a poor excuse as to why you lost that Marley uh, enjoy the money Niall I hope it makes you very happy <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you spend the money on getting some lessons in grace and decorum because you all you have the grace and decorum of a reversing <laughs> dump dumper truck with no tyres on. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> you can tell Marley makes a living from memes, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> Remember that word from word. Do you know what? Uh, right, when that people is are listening to gone. this in, in in like Brazil and South Africa, they're going to be like, hey, what the. F- is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Google it. Right, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. Cheers, Marley. Cheers, Niall. Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We'll, we'll be back tomorrow with another podcast looking back at the Leeds United versus Crystal Palace game and, of course, the Premier League action for FA Cup as well. That didn't make sense. The, the Premier League team's involved <laughs> in the FA Cup, which is tomorrow night. That kicks off a couple of midweek games there. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.